Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and today on the show, we have got uh, Lisa Qualls and Melissa Corkum from the Adoption Connection, um, and they're going to talk with us today about a myriad of things, but one of the things we'll talk about in particular is the idea of blocked care. What are we talking about when we talk about blocked care? Well, uh, why would I tell you in the intro? That's why we have the episode. So make sure you listen the whole way through. Um, but I would say if this is your first time being um, uh, being kind of in the world that Melissa and Lisa talk about, you're going to love them. They're incredibly knowledgeable. Um, they were super vulnerable in our interview and both just shared um, some, some really, really great um, stories, things, perspectives, thoughts. Um, I think that this is one of the things that um, needs to be talked about in great detail going forward. When we started the episode, and I, and I mean this completely seriously, I had no idea what blocked care was. It was a phrase that was new to me, a term that was new to me. Um, and that's what I would say, uh, vital information. If you have ever been discouraged as a parent, if you've ever, ever had um, compassion fatigue or just had moments of feeling beat down by parenting um, and I mean, I would guess that's almost all of us. This is an uh, imperative episode for you to listen to. And so um, please enjoy this episode today with Melissa and Lisa. Um, also, I would say, please know that if you um, are not in the foster care or adoption world, um, this episode still is every bit as valuable to you um, if you are caring for or supporting folks who are caring for kids in any way. This is just a um, great episode for humans. Uh, if you're in a, any kind of human relationship at all, uh, this is, this is your place today. And so, um, Lisa and Melissa are, um, collectively represent the three parts of the triad together. You'll hear them explain that the adoption triad. Um, they also collectively between the two of them have been parents to 18 kids. And so they have been at this thing for a minute. They've got lots of experience. Um, and I would just say that you're going to love their, um, you're going to love their perspective and what they bring to the show today. So without any further ado, here they are, Melissa Corkum and Lisa Qualls. Well, as you said in the open, we're here with uh, Lisa Qualls and Melissa Corkum from the Adoption Connection. They're the co-founders of it. Um, the Adoption Connection, most of you are familiar with it. If you're not, they do post-adoption resources for families. They also do about 42,000 other things that we'll let you guys talk about. Uh, Lisa is, an, is now, this is, she's a two-time guest, and so she was also on... Um, Gosh, Tana, I think episode two or three ever. It was early on. Yeah. 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 Um, relaunch. Yep. Co author of The Connected Child and so, or Connected Parent. And so, Connected, connected child. Parent, right. <laughs> the supplement. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before I get any other credentials wrong, um, Lisa, why don't you guys kind of introduce yourselves and talk about the work that you guys do together? And then we'll get into our topic for today. Great. Well, I am Lisa Qualls. I'm mom of 12 kids through birth and adoption. And we had one long-term foster daughter who happened to pop in last night to our house. We hadn't seen in a couple of years. So that was, she walked in the door and said, hi, mom. So that was a nice surprise. Um, Yeah, I had the complete honor of co-authoring The Connected Parent with Dr. Karen Purvis. I'm a TBRI practitioner. And way, way back in the day before any of that, I was a blogger. I started blogging way back in 2006 as one thankful mom. And I was one of the early bloggers on the, um, it was the Empowered to Connect website and blog with Michael and Amy Monroe. Yeah. We just went through and archived a bunch of stuff and your name was just sort of popping up everywhere. So it's been a long, 
a long relationship of support and we're happy, obviously yeah. happy you back. So thanks for spending some time with us. What she didn't tell you, Lisa, is whether or not she archived your stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I will admit this. Um, it might be, it might be just, you know, it's been, it's been some years y'all. Yes, it has. That was the first question that popped in my head, but it is okay. We we all have to. still means live. It just means there's a button that says archived items. They're still there, you know, to be Googled. You found there's stuff that we've written that long ago that we would archive. Yes, right. like, <laughs> I totally I would. That. Yes, I one of these days when I have a million hours, I need to read through my entire blog and probably archive a whole lot of it. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? So, I'm Melissa Quirkham. I live just north of Baltimore with my husband Patrick. We have six kids through birth and adoption and two grandkids. and. I was one of the first Empowered to Connect parent trainers with Amy and Michael back, I think we trained with them in early 2012. Awesome. And I just recertified the new Cultivate Connection curriculum, which is amazing. I don't know if y'all have talked about that on the blog yet or on the podcast, but it was an honor. So thanks. Yeah. It's, we, we're really proud of it. And we're super proud that you're a part of it too. Um, and you guys have a podcast together, right. That you've done now for, as we talked about for a while. We are coming up on 200 episodes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a joy. It really has. Well, when we were thinking about this current series that we're in, where we're talking about just different aspects of trauma, which interestingly enough, we don't talk about that often. We talk a lot about strategies for support and how to build healthy, strong families and relationships and connections, but we don't always talk about some of our deep, deep why, like almost the origin of sort of why these values are important to us as an organization, and then maybe personally impactful for our family. So um, we were talking about some of the topics that we wanted to discuss. And when we started brainstorming, um, I can't think of two better women and people and humans to have on the podcast today to talk about, oh, things that are hard, like secondary trauma and compassion fatigue and blocked care and the things that sometimes are hard for us to talk about and sometimes hard for us to talk about in an honest and vulnerable way. And um, I really value both of you. So thanks for giving us some time, our listeners some time. And if y'all can hang with us, um, I think you're going to be incredibly blessed um, as we just sort of dive into to these topics. So thank both of you for, for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. I don't. I think maybe our best like starting point today would be just to talk about compassion fatigue um, and secondary trauma as a kind of a, as an intro in. Um, yeah. For a lot of people listening, um, you may be a uh, parent, you may be uh, a relative, somebody who's giving care to kids um, through the foster care system, as an adoptive parent, as a biological parent, like somebody who is just a fun uncle um, or aunt tuning in, but like. Um, there are times that parenting gets hard and um, not many, if you're doing it right, right guys, we'd all agree on that. Like, <laughs> no, <I think> that's <laughs> not. When you're doing it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because that, that we've all figured out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, for the rest of the people out there, but yeah. <laughs> it is. And mm. I think about it even just the beginning, you know, when this episode airs, it's the beginning of the school year season, kind of end of summer transition to fall. Um, it can just get tough. And sometimes it is hard to admit um, that things are hard. And I don't know if you guys have 
thoughts around secondary trauma or compassion fatigue that you would want to use kind of intro into this idea that we're talking about today? Melissa, do you want to take that one on first? Sure. I think the most important thing is to really differentiate between primary and secondary trauma. And so, you know, we work with a lot of families whose kids have really big behaviors. And sometimes uh, because of the fragility of their nervous systems, those big behaviors may look scary or aggressive or big. And so I really believe that as parents, if you're parenting at that level, there's a good chance you actually have primary trauma. You know, like secondary trauma is when you hear about someone else's trauma and feel traumatized by it. So like perhaps your child came from a really, really hard beginning. And when you heard that story, like you just felt it in your gut and, and, you know, and it just made you, you know, just tore you up like that secondary trauma, but living the parenting life that a lot of you are living means that you have your own traumatic experiences within that. And so I, I just think that's really important as a starting point. Mm. And then, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Melissa. And then in terms of compassion fatigue, I, I think a lot of us are familiar with it just in terms of like, it's just when it's hard to keep caring. And what we're going to dive into today, blocked care is like a piece of what compassion fatigue can be. So blocked care and compassion fatigue aren't synonymous, but there's lots of ways that we can come into compassion fatigue and it could just be retired. And blocked care is a very specific type of compassion fatigue. I love that differentiation. And I, I mean, I can't say how much I appreciate you just sort of giving value and voice to live the lived experience of, of what does it mean um, to parent and provide that parental support to um, dysregulated, fragile nervous systems, like you said, Melissa. And it can make us feel um, and internalize, um, you know, the impacts of that on a regular basis. And so I think just part of acknowledging that and sort of holding that with the truth of, of what it is, is incredibly important. So I would, I would concur. Um, and when I think about compassion fatigue, I even think about just mental health caregivers and, you know, just the caring professions and how there's, there is limitations. <laughs> All of us have limits, you know, and, and limits sometimes are things that like, they are like dirty words. Like we're not supposed to talk about having right. a, a limit, but as human beings, like we're wired with limitations and our bodies do respond to stress. Like we believe that to be true. We hold stress and, um, and that impacts our own well-being and our own behavior. So I think just sort of this general understanding and, and a release from maybe the shame that we would carry, um, to speak that out loud. Like we, it, it's not, there's nothing wrong with you if you are experiencing, you know, trauma based on big behaviors, compassion fatigue, or carrying the secondary trauma of holding your children's stories. Like we are wired as human beings to respond to hard things. And so when we do, we should sort of give ourselves the self-care and compassion to understand that's going on. Do y'all have thoughts about that? And then I'd love to dive into blocked care. I can't wait to hear what y'all have to say about that. Well, one thing that came to mind while you were talking, Tana, is the shame. And the fact that we feel 
that we should be able to parent at a certain level in a certain way. And, and also we, we have some, those of us who parented before we adopted or before we began, you know, for caregivers began caring for a really challenging child with lots of adversity, uh, we may have seen ourselves in a certain way. Like I definitely had a sense of myself. This is the kind of mom I am. Yeah. But parenting at the level that I began having to parent and dealing with the trauma in my home and the aggression and just sort of the, the chaos changed me. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I became a mom I didn't even recognize sometimes. It scared mm. me. And I thought, I mean, like it, this sounds a little extreme, but it really shook me at my core because I had chosen to have a big family. I had chosen to stay home with my children. And all of a sudden, everything I believed about myself seemed to be in question because I didn't feel like a good mom anymore, you yeah. know? And um, I wrote a whole post about that because it just was so profound for me. Like, am I even a good mom anymore? And mm-hmm. I had to find my way back to myself. Like I sometimes we talk with parents and a mom will be talking about that. And I say, well, you know, that mom, she's still there. Mm-hmm. It's just, you've got all this piled on top of you and your brain and your nervous system are responding to the deep stress you're experiencing. But at the very core, you are still you and will help you find your way back. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Melissa, I wonder if it, if if you would take us into blocked care and just kind of frame that for us, for us to understand um, that term that we're using and, and where that comes from and, and what it means. Yeah, so we first heard about blocked care through Dan Hughes and John Balin's book, Brain-Based Parenting. It's not your light and easy read. So if you are listening to this thinking you're experiencing block care, that's probably not where I would send you. Yeah. yeah. It's a big Um, one. It's been sitting on my bookshelf for a long time. Gets cracked open every now and then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like reading a textbook. But um, I just remember reading through the section and those words, like that part wasn't hard to read. Like that part jumped off the page. And I remember Voxer and Lisa and I was like, she had been working on a, a presentation kind of along these lines of like what happens when, you know, we run out of compassion and all of a sudden it like all clicked for me. And I was like, Lisa, you have to read these pages because I think there's a name to what you're talking about. And, um, and that just like blew this whole world open for us. Um, and you know, the shame piece started to fall away. Like I process the world through thinking. And so all these pieces started to make sense. You know, I started looking back and like being able to go, oh, that's why I was feeling that way in that season. And um, so it was just hugely helpful. But really succinctly, blocked care is is basically a state that parents or caregivers involuntarily, I think that's the key term, and subconsciously. So that's like the big thing because this isn't about us choosing to or being bad parents. So estate parents or caregivers involuntarily or subconsciously can enter when prolonged stress suppresses their capacity to sustain loving and empathetic feelings towards their child. So not something we ever want to say is happening, right? That's the shame piece. Like what mom wants to go to, you know, to, or, or dad, sorry, JD, I don't want to leave you fellas out, (laughs) wants to go out and have coffee with their girlfriends. And when they're checking in say, you know what, I'm not really feeling so loving to my child in this season of my life. Like that is something incredibly risky. 
yeah. to sort of say and even acknowledge to be true. So I would love for y'all to talk through even that, like how, how do you support parents and caregivers in maybe that first moment of like acknowledging this is, this is maybe what's happening in my home. And then how are they, like what, what's happening in the, in the home or in them or their own behavior or nervous systems that helps you figure out that's, that's going on. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah. So Melissa mentioned that conversation where she said to me, I think there's a name for this. And I will say I had been speaking at conferences and I had developed this uh, breakout that I did called When Your Heart Feels Trampled because so many parents were just feeling like I, my heart has left. I mean, there's just, I've got nothing left. I'm depleted. I, I feel like giving up. And so it was in this moment when I was preparing one of these presentations and when Melissa told me about this phrase or this term, block care, and she sent me, she, I think, took pictures of a couple of pages and sent them to me and I read them and I cried. It almost chokes me up right now talking about it because, you know, when you're in that state, you feel like I'm the only one. I am this terrible person and I'm the only one. And when I read it, not only did I know I wasn't the only one, but I also knew that there was a reason for this. And it was my brain. We always tell people it's a brain thing. Your brain is trying to protect you, you know, and because our brains anticipate this reciprocity of relationship with our children. And so, you know, we're wired for connection and our brains, we do all these things to create attachment and connection with our children and our brains are expecting an appropriate response, you know, an expected response. And when that doesn't happen, our brains truly start to get confused. Mm. And that's when this block care begins to happen. So Melissa and I have identified 10 signs of blocked care. Um, would you like me to read through those so people listening can? And, and this is, I will say, this is not just for parents. This is all caregivers. Yeah. You could yeah. be an educator who has a kid in your yeah. classroom and yes. you're like, I never want to see this child's face again. You yeah. know, it could be any anybody who's providing care for children who have a really high level of needs, sometimes really challenging behaviors. I would love for you to read them. Okay. I, I was going to say no, but since Thomas said yes, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So these are the 10 signs of blocked care that parents may experience. Um, one, they're caught up in coping with their child's behavior and lose curiosity about the meaning behind it. They feel defensive and guard themselves from rejection. They feel burned out chronically overwhelmed and fatigued. They feel resentment toward one or more of their children or their situation as a whole. They may even regret adopting or fostering or entering into this caregiving relationship. They feel irritable with other family and friends. They isolate themselves. They become cynical about helpful ideas. They feel they've lost compassion, which then leads to shame. They experience a crisis of faith or challenge of a personal belief system, and they do not feel real pleasure in parenting. Mm. So if you're listening and you're hearing that and you're thinking, oh my goodness, that sounds like me, you might want to explore blocked care and how to recover from it. You don't need, no, no, no. You don't need all 10 at all. I mean, I hear them and I'm like, exactly. I'm like chunking back through 
I don't know, we've been parenting 20 years or something. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the word for that lived experience for that season of time. Um, Yeah. So thank you. So now what? Let's say that they're yeah. going, aha, I do see myself there. What, what would your encouragement or thoughts be if you find yourself in that place? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, th- mm-hmm. there's an interesting parallel that when we put it together, I was like, duh, haven't we figured this out before, right? And um, mm-hmm. especially if you're parenting through foster care or adoption, blocked care often comes after blocked trust in your child. And we call that a bajillion other things in the adoption and foster care world. We call it attachment challenges and, you know, the effects of trauma. And so basically, you know, our kids have protected themselves through all kinds of things. And then even when they finally land in a safe environment, we know that felt safety is not, you know, so easily acquired if you've had your, you know, your formative years have told you that the world is unpredictable. And, and so it's often that blocked trust that, you know, we're pouring into and the child's just protecting themselves because, you know, Dan Hughes talks about like, we, this is a tricky situation. It's different than almost any other type of trauma in that we are asking a child who probably has been traumatized by adults and not mm-hmm. abused, but even just like removed by a social worker from the home that they knew, right? Yeah. We're asking them to trust the same types of people yeah. for their healing, you know? Yeah. And and so it makes sense. And and we've all in the if if you've been around the space and you're familiar with trauma-informed parenting and all of that stuff, like we understand that we that our kids have certain behaviors because of their experiences. And then, so why were we so surprised to find out that we as parents have certain, you know, behaviors and experiences because of our experiences? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then the parallel continues that like uh, we as parents need exactly like what our kids need, right? Like we need curiosity. We need empathy from people who understand. We need, you know, we can get a lot of that relationship need met through other safe people, but we have to be talking about it first. Uh, but guys, when y'all bring this up, it makes me think about, um, so I've spent the last giant chunk of my career um, as a pastor at a church. And, um, and uh, when we had first, let's see, our, our family started 12 years ago. And so we're first carrying this baby who came to our family through adoption through the church, you know, to Sunday school. And there's this like, almost like false kind of shroud of nobility, like, oh, the Wilsons, just look at them. They're just really doing it. Oh my gosh, that baby's so cute. And people would say, I mean, and this is not unique to our situation. This is kind of like what yeah. well-meaning people do. Um, maybe when they don't know what to say or when they haven't been exposed to this world before, um, I'll tell you what I felt is some of what you described in the 10 signs as a result of like, well, I can't go tell these people now that I don't yes. know what to do or that I'm falling yes. apart or that or I Or that they like, helped you fundraise to bring this baby home and now you don't even like him. Right. Like, what? What are you like, going to do with that? I mean, what, yes. I mean, Lord, I just felt, I've, I just felt like the, the shakes when you said that just now, like that, that was, yeah. that was where we were at. Right. And we're sitting there thinking like, 
we didn't have, and people will laugh at this, but like, <laughs> we didn't have any concerns about parenting. Like, <laughs> marriage would be hard, but like, we babysat you know, people's kids all the time. And we were the funnest people on earth. And like, we had taught Sunday school for five-year-olds. Like we had it down. Then we had kids and it ruined all of those preconceived notions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yep. I think yep. from a very, to, to bring it back to a serious place, it brought me to the point of standing with Mo in our, um, in our, our lobby of our church one day and just being like, Hey, and like looking around, make sure nobody heard me say this. Like, I'm drowning. Like we don't, we, we don't know what we're doing and it is so hard. And I'm a, ter- like, I just then began to like use it as confessional time. I'm a terrible parent and I'm like, and I don't have trust there. And I don't, and so I, I have been there and felt that. And I know I would imagine I'm not alone in that as, as we're talking here. Right. And so for, for people who are kind of at that stage of going, like maybe right now listening to this, they're, they're kind of eyes are opening. They're going, Oh my gosh, like there's other people in my same boat do you guys have first kind of first step type advice that you would give as people are just beginning to start reckoning with this and figuring out how to give themselves compassion, but then also what to do in order to kind of get back to the, what they were hoping for as parents, right? Like that connection and love and, and relationship. Well, I think Melissa referred to this a little bit, but I mean, the first step is, is a little bit learning about it and understanding what's happening in our brains, but that's really only the beginning because it takes this um, empathy from someone who cares for you and truly, truly understands. And so we do it in community. I don't think it's a individual thing because we need one another and we need to be able to look in each other's faces and and just say, we're not going to be in shame over this. Yeah. You know, we're going to, we're going to release this shame and we're going to do the work to help our brains heal so that we can come back into as much open-heartedness and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, connection as we can as parents or caregivers, you know, in, in whatever situation, but we do it in community and we have a number of ways that we do that. Melissa, do you want to talk a little bit about the different mm-hmm. options? Yeah, I think the best place to start is we have a a training called the Compassion Challenge, and it it tells you a little bit about what blocked care is. And then there are like three action items in that training. And um, so we can make that available to the ETC family um, at our website. Uh, If you guys just go to the adoptionconnection.com slash ETC you know, we can have it there. And um, so I think that's a really good first step. And then we do. And you should um, mention, Melissa, that's completely free. Yeah. It's completely free. Yeah. Yeah. And then we do groups, um, like Lisa said, in community where, uh, you know, 10 or 15 parents will walk together through this journey of overcoming block care. And it's kind of the beginning. Like, I feel like once you, it, it gives you a lot of tools for your toolbox because, it's it's not a one and done thing, especially if you're still parenting, right? Like it's just something you kind of right. have to like it's like working out, right? Like you just have put to practice day after yeah, day. Yeah, put into mm-hmm. practice, right? Mm-hmm. You have to kind of know, you know, really what the the course teaches you is how to care for your nervous system yeah. so that it doesn't leave the equation, you know, so that your heart doesn't leave. And so we just teach parents really systematically how to do that. They practice it w- within the group, you know, over six mm-hmm. to eight weeks, and then um and then they have those tools. And then we have um, some ongoing support for that. So once 
folks have kind of gotten their like download of tools, you know, through through taking a, a group or a course like that, then um, we have an ongoing community called The Village. And, and once a month, we do one very specific gathering there that's just about you know, blocked care. And, and we ask the question, you know, what's still hard about blocked care and, and what are you doing that's working well and, and letting mm. parents share, you know, what's working for them. That's awesome. If you're listening to this, we'll, we'll link all these things in the show notes. Um, and, uh, and thank you guys for doing that, like for sharing this stuff with wow. us. Like in, and just for, just for making that available period, because I think even as I'm uh, sitting here, I'm thinking of people that, that might also need to jump in this, you know, with us and, um, Tana, I wonder if like in your kind of beginning experience, obviously what they're describing in terms of community is what has sort of organically grown here in Memphis and in different pockets all over the country over the years through ETC with the parent training groups and now with Cultivate Connection. But do you want to kind of describe kind of maybe y'all's early kind of mm-hmm. parent support as, as you guys were getting started in this? Oh my goodness. I mean, I feel like my heart, it's funny how we talk about nervous systems. Cause like literally I feel my blood pressure rising because this is like so deeply personal. So, I mean, I, I really hold this face just with a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of humility and integrity and, and respect for y'all creating a space to talk about this really vulnerably. Um, I, I'm so glad, Lisa, you said community. I, this cannot be done alone. Like you yeah. you need somebody else to like bear witness yes. to your lived human experience. Yes. And, and, you know, the thought that like when our brain and our bodies do do what they're supposed to do, which is defend us from harm, but we are so quick to judge ourselves so harshly. So in the dark alone, it just gets big and like, there's no good thing. I was texting one of my, my kids the other day and and a friend of theirs, and we were working through some stuff. And I was like, above all else, you know, beat the shame monster back into the corner Mm -hmm. because it gives you no good thing. Like there are so many good things we could do from here. But like wallowing in self-loathing while you are struggling deeply in your home Mm -hmm. um, and embarrassed and ashamed and scared Mm -hmm. to bring it out into the light. Um, I mean, J.D., y'all kind of laugh, but I'm thinking this is why a lot of families don't go to maybe their placing agencies for support because the the agency approved them to move forward or the people that helped them fundraise. Like it is so hard to look at yourself in the mirror and think, how did we get here? And I do not like what I see when I look back in the mirror, but Mm -hmm. you can feel frozen. And so I think I just appreciate the vulnerability of this moment. If nothing else, feel seen and heard and validated in your lived experience and know that there's hope. Like you're a human, your brain and body are doing what God wired them to do to protect you from harm. So just like say, that's what's happening right now. And now I get to acknowledge that and take some really positive steps towards, you know, calming myself down. And and I really appreciate y'all giving some practical, accessible tools to do that. That is very much what we were after. I mean, we started our first couple of steps of like, I just need to get some people in the room that can just, like, I wouldn't have used the words 20 years ago, but to bear witness to what's happening. And yeah. if I could do nothing else but say, me too, now we don't have to stay here. Right. So I think it's that balance of like, this is happening, but there is hope beyond the moment. 
Yeah. But we can't pretend it's not happening and we can't stay in the middle of the despair. So mm-hmm. that's those are my thoughts. Just yes, I guess. <laughs> Maybe a big like long-winded yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, well, we, <laughs> we don't yeah. want parents thinking, I just have to gut it out till I can get this kid grown up and out of my house. That's right. I mean, that is not that mm-hmm. is not the life any of us want. You yeah. know, many of us, if we're people of faith, we entered into this because we felt a deep um maybe some sort of compelling from God. We felt like we were walking in um, obedience and also just in sort of our calling or, you know, I loved being a mom. I loved it. And so it just seemed like the most natural thing, right? And so we don't want people to feel like this is it. This is how bad it's going to feel. And I'm just going to feed this kid, put clothes on his back. And when he's 18, that's that. That's not what we want. So, yeah, releasing the shame, being in community, understanding what's happening in our brains and bodies, Mm -hmm. all of those things are big, big keys. Mm. I think, you know, when I think about as as we kind of go forward from there, there's obviously a ton um, of work to be done, right? Like, so that acknowledgement early on is, uh, is a huge starter of us on the path, so to speak, but, but then you've got to walk it out, right? Then you've got to do the work, um, yourself. And so I wonder, um, as you guys have been on this journey for a while, if there are things that, um, you've not mentioned yet that you feel like are like the 201 or the 301 level classes within this care, like in terms of like, um, you know, kind of your ongoing development as, um, as parents over time and, and through different seasons of parenting and all of that. I think a couple things come to mind, JD. One is that when I started helping parents a decade ago, I was not as familiar with the experience of blocked care. And I'm embarrassed to say, like, parents would come to me with these really hard situations, and I would be like, you know what? You just need to use more compromises, you know, or like, what about more choices? You know, like, I would kind of throw, like, you know, another tool at them. Yeah, like a tool or like, maybe you're just not doing this, you know, or whatever. Or, and I, you know, fairly was meeting a lot of resistance that, well, I'm not going to do that, you know? And Mm. I didn't know what I was, that these parents were in blocked care. Like that was the thing that had to be addressed first before we could even get buy-in that there was like a a different way to think about behavior. Because one of the signs Lisa mentioned is like, you don't want to think about behavior in a different way, right? And so I think I think that's huge. And the other thing is Lisa and I are now parents of all young adults and teenagers. So we're we're beyond the littles and we've seen a lot of life and we've had this beautifully redemptive opportunity to to know that the hardest parts of our stories weren't the end even though mm. 5 years ago we might have told you like that was the end or we were just going to, you know, tough it out until, you know, yeah. I don't know that magic 18 or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and so for those of you who are listening, who are feeling like you're in the thick of it and, and not that there's anything magic about that, but, but there is something about our kids um, separating from us, moving out, developing just some more prefrontal cortex and, you know, the st- we tell parents all the time, like your stories aren't over until they're over. I'm also an a 
adult adoptee, I have two adopted siblings that went through really rough teenage hoods. I was, of course, the, you know, rule following perfect one, but, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in our thirties and forties now. And, I, and, and there was a time when our family felt forever broken and split apart where we were doing multiple holidays for just so that people would show up because they couldn't be in the same room with, you know, other people in the family. And we're on the other side of that. And I know that won't be everyone's story, but we just see it happen. I think more often than not, um, when parents can figure out the blocked care thing, like it would have been really easy if I didn't know about blocked care that when some of our teenagers walked out and were like, peace out, like I didn't want a family and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know that I want to in our family, you know, like it could have just been all over then. And if I didn't know about blocked care and couldn't do my own work to do the work to keep my own nervous system open to the future that that child may someday decide to re-engage because at that point, I mean, it's, it's simple. It's like the time out, you know, like, or or when our kids don't want to connect, like they, you know, go off into their bedrooms and slam the doors. Like we can't make them come back, but when they come back, it is our job kind of to be open to that reconnection. Even if our feelings had been hurt, even if it was really hard, even if they said nasty, terrible, awful things. Um, So anyway, I, I think that's the like big future, like big story perspective. Yeah. I think that's super helpful. I'm, we're on the front end of that. We're like my wife and I are on the front end of that now. We, our oldest is 12. And so we've, we've just got um, all of that to look forward to from uh, what you guys are saying. And we're, you know, as, I think as, even as we get the first shades of it, um, I am so grateful. And I think I'm able to, to have a little bit better game face because of being around other people who have been in it before us, right? And, and gone before us. Um, I, I, I wonder even, Melissa, from your perspective, like how how has um, your own story and your own experience of both being an adoptee and having adopted siblings growing up, when you see these things playing out in your house now, like how has that um, informed your parenting of the kids in your home? Well, I would like to tell you, JD, that it made me like a great parent and I was really understanding and all those experiences informed it and I didn't take anything personally and I, I looked towards no. the future and none of that is true. <laughs> true. I know. Um, Thank you I for mean, your the thing honesty. is, right, we're human. Like we're moms, we're dads. Yeah. We just yeah. want the best for our kids. Doing the best um, we can. Yeah, mm-hmm. we want we want to protect them from doing the stupid things teenagers do. And so we yeah. make rules about it and we try to tell them they need to, you know, not be on social media or not spend time with those friends or choose different clothes or different music choices and all of the things. And so, but I do think deep down inside, um, because of my own story, it has made me, um, more passionate and diligent about trying to figure out how not to give up. Even when, like, I remember like at the darkest, lowest points of parenting of like that whisper of like, just, just give it up. And, and there was still that like tiny, like adoptive voice that was like, you know, that's not like the right thing to do. And you know, that these kids aren't, they don't mean what they're saying, you know, that it comes from this history of hurt. And so I think, you know, I was thankfully like by the grace of God, able to hear just that little tiny whisper. Cause it was, it was not, you know, it was relatively quiet compared to all of my other you know, scared parenting voices. So yeah. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Um, Lisa, 
you know, in your own experience, right? I wonder how um, that's informed your parenting experience as well. Because same question as as Melissa, just as as you've um, as you've parented and you've gone through, and you're now kind of in this other side. What what would you want other parents to know, um, and how you're how you would respond to that? Well, I was a mom for 20 years before we adopted, you know, and so I had experienced what it was like to be a mother to children who were basically healthy kids and had relatively secure attachment. You know, it's not perfect, even even with the kids we give birth to. But um, like Melissa said, I think for me now, having so many adult kids, including um, one of my adopted daughters who's a young adult and then my teens, is that they're on a journey and that I think for our children who are very wounded, were very wounded and deeply impacted by adversity, uh, attachment's a lifelong journey. And mm-hmm. we don't, you know, obviously when they're young adults, we're not trying to form this deep um, attachment like we would with a child, but we still want to be a secure base for our kids and a safe haven for them to come back to. And honestly, we've had things happen where I did not think that would ever be possible with some of our kids. And, um, you know, God surprises me all the time because he's in the restoration business and things that we don't think can ever be restored can be restored. And I know Melissa and I both experienced that. And, you know, when we're tempted to give up, we have to remember that God is writing a story in our kids' lives too, and that we are just along for the ride at a certain point. And our choice is to choose love Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, to choose love. I try to make decisions falling on the side of love and not um, an ideal that I want my kids to uphold. And so it's a long road and we are hopefully, especially with our older kids, helping them prepare to form secure attachments with their spouse and their children. You know, we may not see it the way we wanted to see it in, in their childhood, but we can see so much beauty coming in the future. And I think that's a very hopeful thing. I don't know uh, if there's a better place to kind of shift toward the end than that That last sentence. That is great. Um Tana, any kind of final thoughts, closing thoughts as we get ready to wrap up today? I mean, I've had a little something stir in me and I think it's connected to maybe the possibility that this just feels like heavy and so much more work. So there's this conversation can bring up maybe some feelings of despair. I'm like, well, how do I fix this now? Like I've named something in myself and now I have to, you know, if you have the mindset you're trying to fix your kid, well, now I have to fix myself. And maybe I would ask if we could just maybe use some words like maybe instead of what do I, how do I fix this? Like, how do I go easy here? Like, how Mm. do I, how do I do this softly? Like, how do I, how do I move forward with ease and, and softness um, in our own perception of what's going on? So I just keep going back to honoring your own physiological. I mean, Melissa, you said it at the very beginning, involuntary, Mm -hmm. like, if I can show somebody else that I love some understanding and empathy and compassion when something happens involuntarily, then like, can I figure out how to muster some ounce of that and give that back to myself 
And maybe my partner and my parenting partner or spouse, if we're in different places, like what does it mean to just honor where every person is on this journey of, and it's going to be a, you're going to swing back and forth. There's going to be seasons when caring and being empathetic and compassionate with your children come easy. And then something's going to happen and it's going to stir up something from your own past and your body is telling you to be careful, like warning, 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 fight them now. Or they are going to harm you, you know? So yeah. just acknowledging those reactions that happen in our brains and bodies that we cannot control. Um, and then moving towards some, some growth and healing. I, I would bet all of us would say that many of us probably came to this content, this material, this idea of, building trust relation, trusting relationships because we were trying to help our hurting kids. I mean, I, yeah, we're all shaking. That's probably what motivated every single one of us to get yeah. here. And I know what happened to all of us because we're sitting here holding this space really reflectively together. And then we all realized it was actually us that needed to be cared for and loved and supported in this way. And that we were the ones that needed that felt safety and community to think through our own stories and that it would just happen to be our beautiful children that were the invitation to like seeing ourselves maybe more honestly. And that can feel overwhelming, but don't despair because truly it's where the beautiful, holy redemptive restoration happens when you can be with one another in, in places of being easy yeah. And, I, and gentle in, and soft. Go ahead, Melissa, please. Yeah, in, in some ways, I think the shift to the spotlight on us yeah. was helpful and freeing because mm-hmm. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but the return on investment for trying to quote unquote fix your kids or change their behaviors is negative. <laughs> I mean, negative. It's, it's a right. It doesn't, <laughs> right. There is no return on that. So. Yeah. yeah. And so all of a sudden when when um, I when so I realized the impact that caring for my own nervous system had on my family, like that was freeing because I do actually have some much more control over myself. And so the return on investment that I was investing in changing me and not turning that towards my spouse or my kids, like that felt incredibly more rewarding because I can make those changes for myself. I can't do them for anyone else. And so, right. um, yeah, I think I, I get what you're saying, Tana. Like, it's just one more thing. But also the nervous system care stuff, I think, impacts not just blocked care, but just our overall health of our Everything, family. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so so in that sense, it's like not just one more thing that's like just for this one thing. It's like those single-use kitchen appliances that only work for one thing. Like the right. stuff that you learn through this journey is like helpful across the board and everything that's yeah. going on in your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would add too that, um, you know, learning about blocked care and recognizing that you're in it, the very last thing we want to do is place a burden on the parent. Yeah. The very last thing. And so I would hope that people listening, even just knowing that it has a name it's not something you chose. It's not about your character. It's not about your faith. I hope that that's comforting enough to begin lifting some of this shame. And yeah. then the steps forward for healing, they are gentle and they are small. 
And uh, it's we're not talking about therapy. We're not talking about large assignments. I mean, we have to be really gentle and kind to ourselves. And I think for people of faith, it's so important for us to remember that just like we want to look upon our children with eyes, gentle eyes, and tell them how precious they are, that that is how our Father is looking upon us. Mm-hmm. He is not disappointed in us. He is not surprised that we're struggling. He knows our deepest inner thoughts, and He loves us. And so my hope is that under within that context of knowing that we are not failures, that we are beloved children of God, that we can slowly find our way back to being the parents that we really long to be. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this was this was awesome. Um, and and I think what at least I'll speak for myself and exactly what I needed to hear today. And so thank you. Thank you. I'll so give much. a last shout out if y'all are listening. Please go find them. I mean, I can't recommend the communities and the environments and the support that y'all um, provide for so many enough. So thank you for stewarding. I know y'all could be doing a lot of things with your time and energy and talents and lived experience. Yeah. And you were choosing to share that with other parents. And um, as a beneficiary, I I appreciate it. And thank you all. So if you're listening and you don't want to feel alone, you need to feel some sense of belonging and understanding, you know, don't, uh, don't tarry, run, 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 run. So give us your final, give us a final shout out for all the places that they can find you. Well, the quickest probably to just enter into our world, if you're listening on your podcast app right now is just, you know, quick pause and go search for the Adoption Connection podcast. And um, that'll connect you to all the places and, and give you a, a an easy <laughs> way to, That's you great. know, move on. Yeah. Well, like we said, we'll have those things lo- uh, linked down in the show notes below. So you can go to theadoptionconnection.com. You can go search the podcast. You can, I mean, use Google you people are smart. You know where to find these things. And so we'll, but we'll put links in there just to make it easier. Um, and guys, thank y'all so much for today. Thank y'all. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Oh man. Uh, just a huge thank you to Melissa and Lisa for joining us and just for being, uh, vulnerable the way that they were. Um, thank you for just the wealth of information that was shared. Um, and I would also just say, you know, as somebody who is just, I mean, we are, I think as a, as a uh, collective people, like humans are, we're, we're experiencing a tough moment um, in the history of, of being human on planet earth. And so um, the, the time to be able to acknowledge that stuff is hard. We're all in this together. And to be able to hear from somebody who's experienced it in a similar way to you is powerful. And so I am so grateful for um, that time today uh, with them. And so um, if you would like to connect with them further, which I don't know how you would listen to this and not want to connect with them further. You can do so in a, in a multiple, um, multiple ways. And so if you will look at our show notes, number one, we've got their website and their podcast, um, linked below. You can go on their website. Um, they've got a, a list of free resources, other resources, podcasts, episodes, blogs, all that kind of stuff. You want to hire them, um, to come speak at an event. You can do that there. Um, but I would say, uh, without a doubt, definitely, um, go subscribe to their podcast. Definitely go visit the website and check out the resources they've got there. And, um, 
and just enjoy um, the the stuff that they bring because they, they are a really unique um, resource as uh, an entity. So theadoptionconnection.com or the Adoption Connection on um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your play, your uh, podcast. So that is all for today for me. We will we'll be back again uh, next week with a brand new episode. And so uh, we hope to see you then. For Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio for... Uh, Tad Jewett, who created the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast. I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. Mm-hmm.